Welcome to Lent. This might be a foreign thing, so maybe first it's best to do a little demystification. Uh, Lent actually just means spring. How about that? That's, that's a little less intimidating, right? Spring, of course, is that strange and beautiful transitional season, that liminal space, that winter's cold dreariness gives way to growth and newness of life. Or around here, it's where March Madness gives way to the Durham Bulls' home season, right? But it's during this time, this Lenten time, that we prepare ourselves. We get our bodies and our little private worlds and even the expanded world around us that we have a little bit of control over ready for the earth-shaking reality of Jesus' cross and resurrection. This is kind of similar to Advent when we make room in that lead up to Christmas for Jesus' incarnation to leave an indelible, like irreversible mark, not only on our lives, but on this world and how everything works. We do that likewise during Lent. We bookend the season in death and darkness. <laughs> Welcome to Lent. Some of you came for Ash Wednesday. That reminds us that we come from dust and that's where we're going. Uh, always have a little asterisk there to remember that God does pretty remarkable things and has a great track record with breathing life into dust, making extraordinary things out of but dust. And then Holy Saturday is the other bookend. It's the time when even Jesus' closest friends have already abandoned him. And even the faithful ones don't really have much left to do. Because for all intents and purposes, Jesus' body was being made into dust. But in the middle of those two poles, we grapple with the ways that we've built ourselves up falsely. Ways our world has gone askew. Ways creation is groaning for redemption. So we repent. We focus. We recalibrate. We fast or abstain even from good things so that we can feel so, so that we can feel anything, let alone our weaknesses, our lack, our need, our limits. During this time we cultivate a virtue. As Lent isn't only about giving something up, but it's also about taking up, taking up a new way of life. Oftentimes, the vacuum left by what we've given up gives some attention and some space and energy to being more kind or being more patient or being more thankful. Less leads to more. And finally, there's an outpouring of generosity, almsgiving to the poor, providing some small bit of healing to someone else in need. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So none of these things, this season, are things to master. It's tempting to want to just like jump in and go all out. Complete this season with a plum. Make your daily checklist and just kill it. Like finish it just so. But friends, let me assure you that Lent is long. I gave up sweets for Lent, and it was like Friday, and I was, I was having the jitters, the opposite sugar jitters, right? Lent is long, and you will fail, and none of this will necessarily be all that graceful. 
That's why this Lent each week we'll hone in on a spiritual discipline. This is repetitive work that each of us can do, which when given life by the spirit of the living God can actually slowly, almost like imperceptively, make you into a different person. These are things, normal things, like prayer and confession and fasting and lament and silence, things we've, we've heard of before, maybe even attempted. But I want to say they're a little more like a craft than like a fine art or a science. It, that's, uh, I'm not trying to criticize anyone because we have some really fine artists and even some scientists here, but a craft is something available to anyone. It's, it's something then um, that, that these spiritual disciplines, we might need to recast or reclaim some of them so that we can take them back up. Because these are disciplines, and when I say that, it might even be a little confusing because they're, they're not exactly discipline as if you did something wrong. A lot of us hear that and kind of recoil a little bit. They're also not even for the particularly disciplined. There's like type A achievers in our midst. Bless you bless you all, right? We're not earning anything here, but we're trying to put our bodies and our minds and our hearts in a place to become disciples of Jesus, again and more, individually and together. So the image should look more like, and you'll see this image popping up around here during Lent, it's on the cover of the devotionals, it's on the the panels, it's more like the thousands of small, unassuming stitches that happen on the way to creating a beautiful quilt or tapestry, right? Each stitch is kind of clumsy. Each stitch in in isolation might be perfect or it might be straight or it might be crooked or it might be seemingly insignificant, but then being drawn, it is being drawn into the not yet but will be whole work that is beautiful, that everyone can have a contribution in. I think that's how these spiritual disciplines work as a craft. It's something that we get our hands set to doing. I'm going to invite Steph to read our scripture for today um, as we focus on prayer from Philippians 4. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us. The Lord, the God of peace will be with you. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steph. So I'll, I'll ask this rhetorically as not to embarrass anyone. What is the worst prayer that you've ever prayed? You can take a sec and try to remember. Maybe it's something that you've purposely tried to always forget. You've erased that hard drive so you'll never be able to recall it. Your prayer might have been bad because it was selfish. It was desperate. You claim those imprecatory psalms like in the parking lot, right? 
We don't even remember half of the things that we ask God for under our breath. We make all sorts of vows in the miniature foxholes of our life that if God just gets us through this, we're going to change. We're going to do great things for God. Some of these things we've actually earnestly desired, too, (laughs) at various points, which have come and have gone. The world didn't actually end when she didn't want to date you, right? That job that you thought was going to be your salvation actually wasn't the path that your career was going to take. I often think of the great, the words of the great theologian, Garth Brooks, who reminds us some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. It rarely occurs to us that what we want right now might not be the best thing for us. What we want right now might not be the best thing for us. And that we might even lack the ability to ask for the things that we need. Prayer is risky. <laughs> um, one of my professors at Duke, Lauren Winter, wrote a book called The Dangers of Christian Practice, which on its face is kind of a boring title, but also kind of like, wait, what? Uh, and she asked in it, talking about prayer, why she has all these shelves, and I've been to her house, some of you have too, the most books you've ever seen, not in the library. She asked why on all of her shelves and shelves of anthologies of other people's beautiful prayers, and some of you have some of these bound books of beautiful prayers, and they're great, um, why aren't there any of the prayers included in these books from the journals of slave-holding women? Like, uh, she mentions one woman in particular, Keziah Brevard uh, in Virginia. She was a widow and owned two farms, and she wrote in her journal that she wanted the Lord to, quote, give me better feelings towards them, which them is, of course, the slaves. Um, She says, forgive me, Lord, for unkind thoughts and have mercy on me. Part of this prayer is actually pretty good. Taken as a whole, we raise our eyebrows a little bit can look on this prayer as being pretty incomplete, kind of malformed. Even as she's opening herself up to God and asking for help, she's doing it in a pretty limited and safe way. She's leaving untouched the giant elephant in the room, which is, of course, her idolatry in trying to own other human beings made in the image of God as property. We can all see this from where we sit. But this, this, if we dismiss this, creates a kind of complicated question for us. Does this count as a prayer, even if it's a bad one? Even if her prayer reduces and reinforces warped power rather than relinquishing it, isn't she still coming to God? Doesn't God want us to pray about the things in our life? If not, are only perfect prayers prayers? What about, what about like, really, what about our like, particularly bad prayers? What about like, the prayer, the Christmas time prayers of our kids? Are those still prayers? Even when you're learning to pray and you're praying bad prayers and you're only praying for toys, is that still prayer? What about prayers that come about of immaturity, not necessarily malice, right? But before we take this extreme example, a slave-owning woman praying to God, and dismiss it because it doesn't really apply to us, 
Let's let it bug us a little bit first. Bug us a bit in how we pray. How limited our sight is into the things that we take for granted. How small is the fraction that we bring ourselves before God, expecting God to continue to prop up and improve who we are without actually drastically challenging us or changing us? How many of our prayers are prayed in order to validate ourselves? What already is? What we have? Rather than with an open hand for God to do whatever God wants to do with us. We're always going to pray about our lives, and we should, and God is big enough to be sovereign over all of creation and delights in hearing all of our prayers. God is also small enough and intimate with us to hear and to get into the minutia of it all. So I wonder if, I wonder if maybe a, a practice we could take up within the practice, like a nesting doll practice, um, would be journaling our prayers. Does anyone journal their prayers? Does anyone do that? Never really done that a whole lot. Uh, I wish this was my prayer journal. There's a little clip uh, up on the screen. It says uh, on September 25th, what I'm really asking for is very ridiculous. Oh, Lord, I'm just saying at present, um, I'm a cheese, but make me a mystic immediately. And that comes from Flannery O'Connor's prayer journal, not mine. But I think I share and we share that sentiment, especially on the front edge of this Lenten season, that we all desire to be made mystics immediately, even as we're current cheeses. Again, journaling your prayers is no fail-safe that they're going to automatically become good prayers, because that's exactly also what Miss Brevard was doing. We found that prayer in her own journal. But I wonder if we might do this in a way that keeps us honest or begins to... Um, show us what honesty even is. There's this silly Twitter account that I follow, and it's called, uh, like, at Cold Takes Exposed. And basically, they just go back and troll people by retweeting their really bad sports takes when they were untrue. Like, you know, don't sign this guy because he's lousy, and then he wins the Super Bowl MVP. And like, hey, remember when you said that thing, right? I wonder if our prayer journals actually could serve kind of that purpose, reminding the poster of what they said and how wrong it was. Um, maybe our prayer journals have a little more possibility in the medium than Twitter does to bring about humility, right? My admitted limited experience with prayer journaling hasn't been for this purpose, though. It was always so that I could chart my progress, right? So that I could look back and see both how faithful God was, but also how right I became. How I could look back and I could ignore all the bad prayer and I could like sift out all of the things that didn't get answered and I could just see when the broken clock of my prayer was right twice a day, right? And then I could praise the Lord for it. But what if journaling lets us see how our prayers, like how far our prayers have come and how far they need to go? I think this could happen even just in this next 40 days. We'll, we, we could keep track and be able to look back on what we were praying um, and then how we might even pray now, let alone for years and years as we, as we build this. We could see and ask the question, what if we best grow by seeing how bad our prayers have been 
but how God continues to bend an ear and creatively answer in a way that reshapes our prayers and puts us in whole new positions that make whole new realities possible. An example of this for me is I used to pray really carelessly or not at all about the weather. Yeah, I'd be like, thank you, God, for this day. Rain, snow, sleet, whatever, because there's always something great about it, right? And, and that, again, is true. But then when I started to become friends with some people who lived outside, my prayers changed. Uh, I, would, I would pray that the Lord would relent in the middle of the summer after a streak of heat because I knew it, how it affected these friends. I, I, would, I, I would take seriously not, not just how good it was to be able to play in the snow, but how hard it was for people without a steady roof under their head to have snow uh, or who relied on getting to an hourly job. And so your prayers start to change when your body gets uh, in different places and you get to know different people. Maybe in this practice we can get specific, we can write down our prayers, and we cannot be afraid to be wrong because you're going to be wrong in prayer. That's part of it. Um, I think another, another good key here is to pray other people's prayers, like to, to seek as a valuable resource good words from lives formed by prayer in God's presence. These are like uh, saints and, and not even like capital S saints, but saints in your own life, people who have mentored you or whose faith you admire. These are scripture prayers like the Magnificat or Simeon's prayer or the prayers in Revelation uh, with all of all the nations gathered around the throne. These are psalms as prayer. We've sung some of them today. Um, there are resources in the Book of Common Prayer. Like uh, today's collect is Almighty God, whose son whose blessed son was led by the spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Imagine the grooves that you wear if you pray that week after week, year after year. So, what you've heard thus far might have seemed like bad news about prayer. Frankly, that none of us are very good at it or able to be very good at it, and that's kind of scary and bad. That prayer is cracked and we're limited and God is powerful, so what's the point, right? Well, the good news about prayer is that Jesus prays for us constantly and perfectly. That Jesus both models praying without ceasing out of us, that we would pray without ceasing, that we would continue this conversation even then, even when we don't have words, and that he would give us uh, the spirit to aid us in that prayer. As broken and limited as they are, these prayers can actually change things. When I think about how prayer changes things, I always remember that line by Bart, and he says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of the uprising against the disorder of the world. That sounds so revolutionary and radical. This elevates prayer as a tool for resistance. But the surprise and the scandal of it all is that the disorder of the world that needs to be risen up against runs right through you and I. We're part of the disorder that needs to be reordered and prayer is actually a tool for that. Oftentimes prayer 
is on the front line towards making us part of the solution rather than part of the problem. We can become cured people, part of the cure, rather than more disease. So prayer is laying ourselves bare before the God who we couldn't hide from it even if we tried. Oftentimes, a byproduct of prayer is then that we come to know a little bit more about God and that we could become, come to know God better, but also we come to know more about ourselves and our faults and our tendencies and our selfishness and come to know who we really are in light of who God is. So turning to our text today from Philippians 4, before our passage, um, which our passage has this breathtaking proclamation that the Lord is near to us, so we should pray, there's an acknowledgement of conflict. Scholars don't really know what was up with these two women, Udaya and Syntyche, but something was going on that was hurting them, and that was hurting the community through their hurt. So instructions towards prayer and towards peace aren't just general. They're not like greeting card styled ideas. They are nitty gritty hopes for actual real world healing. But they aren't to be taken from the limited view from where they were that forgiveness and wholeness aren't possible, but that peace can come from outside of them. This isn't peace of mind, this is peace to be made. And prayer is a tool for peace to be made. Peace which exceeds our understanding, their understanding is possible. And to do this, we refocus. We refocus on things that are admirable and true and holy and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. This is part of what prayer does. It refocuses us. It sets our eyes on something besides us. And then Paul says that you should practice these things. And I think he should probably have said, so we would have paid attention to it, practice, practice, practice. Practice peace in our prayer and in our actions. And thanks be to God, the God of peace will be with us. This is the end game of our spiritual formation. It's not that we'll be like... Uh, these holy saints to be set in museums and busts or whatever, it's that we will become peacemakers, that we will be taken out of our unpeace, that we will be retrained from people that used to say peace, peace, where there is no peace, into uh, people who are brought into the peace of God. There's this, like, cluster that's happening here. There's a slide, if, if you're looking at Philippians 4, that the God of peace gives us the peace of God in order that we might be peacemakers. It's this like peace cluster. And I think that shows us that, that peace is not static, it's contagious, it's growing, it's building, it's increasing. Peace is a habit that can be formed by practicing what you've learned, received, heard, and saw. This is exactly why Jesus in the Beatitudes that we, that we focused on a few weeks ago it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will, become son, they will be called sons and daughters of God. This is exactly who God is. And when we practice doing what our Heavenly Father is and does, we get built into God's likeness. We share the family resemblance as peacemakers. 
So this is the movement towards peace. It's a wholeness. It's a harmony. This is the part of the, the coming uh, Prince of Peace that Jesus, uh, Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace, so this is the part of the coming peace that he makes possible. But we can't know this ahead of time. We, we can't understand it. We can't pr- comprehend it. We can't conjure it from where we stand. So we ask God to show us. We ask God to have patience on us. We ask God to transform us by the renewal of our minds. We ask God to answer our good prayers and kind of don't listen when we're babbling on about kind of bad prayers, right? But we also ask God to form in us the sorts of hearts that are synced up with the heart of God towards the creation that's being made new. So since this peace comes from beyond us and outside of us, this Lent is a time to experience an impossible peace made possible. We, in praying, we've received this peace as a gift. We commune with God and access God's peace. We'll always come up short of this. But we can grow. Our baseline's pretty low, so we can go up, right? We can have our capacities expanded. We can have our bandwidths widen. This gives you permission to mumble prayers. Sometimes you can only breathe prayers, but we believe that God's spirit is in us, so that's good gives you permission to fail, to pray bad prayers, permission to grow. gives you a, an invitation to receive grace which forgives and equips and transforms and makes a whole new world possible. So I've given a couple, a couple um, possible practices, praying other people's prayers and um, prayer journaling, mostly as a chance to to open your own self, open yourself up to your own self. Um, I want to li- I want to close with an image for prayer. Um, I think about prayer. I think about a hammer because hammers both build and hammers break. Hammers are a key tool for craftsmen. I don't, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but um, I'll read this poem by Christian Wyman called. Um, hammer is the prayer. But uh, hammers are key tools for craftsmen. And I've even seen this in Titus, our six-year-old. He got a tool set for his last birthday. And that kid will go out and just hammer nails into a board for about an hour. And it's kind of nice because it's like a cow with a bell around his neck. You know he's probably okay if you just hear the rhythm of the hammer, right? But, But what he's showing me in that practice of actually hammering, this is why I like to talk about um, prayer as a hammer, is that you don't need to be able to swing the biggest, heaviest hammer, nor should you like focus on knocking it in with one swing. One time he, he tried to do that. He's getting impatience, impatient with his ability and his strength to do this, so he's just taking these wild swings and putting dents everywhere and hitting his fingers. More often than not, small constant taps will do the trick and big inattentive swings can be painful and inaccurate swings can work at a cross purpose to what you're trying to accomplish. So too with prayer. But hammers are also good for demolition. and Maybe our prayers should be too. Hammers shatter the mirrors of self-deceit and short-sightedness 
Hammers break those things which long to be made new, but currently are just in the way. A lot of hammers have claws on the other side of them that are good for clawing out crooked nails to either start over or tap differently. In this poem, he says, hammer is the prayer of the poor and dying. Hammers helped us, uh, help us attempt to rebuild in the wreckage, often the wreckage of unanswered prayers. But it's precisely in that swinging that something new, some peace from outside of us, from the hinterlands of our minds, from the very lordless places where grief and desperation meet us, that peace comes about. That the Prince of Peace is revealing to us with that spirit wind, finding us, forming us, hearing us, and including us in this peaceable kingdom. So I'll close with this poem by Christian Wyman, Hammer is the Prayer. There's no consolation in the thought of God, he said, slamming another nail in another house another havoc had half taken. Grace is not consciousness, nor is it beyond. To hell with remembrance, to hell with heaven, hammer is the prayer of the poor and dying. In the wind, in some lordless random comes to rest, in all the disquieted dust within, peace came to the hinterlands of our minds, too remote to know, but peace nonetheless. Pray with me. Lord, you hear our prayers, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You are kind and you are wise and knowing how to respond. I wouldn't know how to even respond to some of the things I ask you. Help us to grow in this practice and help us to grow in the relationship behind this practice that, that um, teaches us and helps us to expect to come to you ask things of you, to come like children, to come when we're happy and come when we're hurt, to um, grow in the, the craft of all of this, swinging hammers, hammers to build and hammers to break, to continually be surprised when your spirit shows up in this place where we didn't think you could be amongst the dust and the disorder, and you surprise us with peace. We thank you for all these things. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.